So, quick question. You know how when you look up in the sky at migrating geese and they're, they're making that V, you know why there's always always one one leg shorter than the other? You know what causes the, the one leg of the V to be shorter than the other? It's got fewer geese in it. term that we use to describe those strange ADHD thoughts that you start to take over your concentration when you should be paying attention to something that's really important. Just kidding. So welcome to Feeding the Monkey, episode four. Last week we looked at why is ice slick and what would happen if the sun vanished. To that end, we had a listener call Chris wants to know what is actually going to happen to the sun and when we can expect that to happen. So I decided to go out and search for that. In the middle of it, I took a minute to take a quiz about mondegreens. Mondegreens are when you hear words to a song that are different than the words actually are, like Jimi Hendrix, excuse me while I kiss this guy. Anyway, so the sun, what's going to happen to it? The sun is middle-aged right now. It's about 4.5 billion years old. That means it has about 5 billion years left, you know, middle-aged. And uh, it's used up about half of its hydrogen, turning it into helium. As the hydrogen, which is the lightest element ever in the universe, is turned into helium, which is like the second heaviest item in the universe ever, the core of the sun gets heavier because helium is heavier than hydrogen. Because the core is heavier, the outer layers of the sun get pulled more and more towards the center, towards that core. So that provides more hydrogen down to the core, which is becoming starved of it. And that makes it burn faster, and the sun will become brighter. Now, people who are not terribly concerned about greenhouse gases will be happy to know then when that happens, we could be living like our Paleolithic ancestors, technology-wise, and the Earth is still going to get hotter and wetter. Wetter? Well, it's another story. So, 3.5 billion years from now, the sun will end up being about 40% brighter than it is right now. That, of course, is going to be the end of life on Earth, since a 40% hotter the sun is the same as us moving in 40%, which puts us uh, almost to the orbit, uh, in between the orbits of Mercury and Venus, neither of which are known for their hospitable climates. Ice caps will melt. All the moisture will boil off into space. There's not going to be any more life on Earth, so, you know, you might as well enjoy your hairspray and air conditioning. When all the hydrogen is gone, there will be a very heavy core of helium, which will then implode, which is kind of like exploding only it's imploding so the the core is going to implode 
that will give the sun renewed energy and it'll flare up again. So it'll grow a lot larger than it is right now. It will become something called a red giant. That's not to be confused with Red Dwarf, which was a British television series. This will be a red giant. At this time, it will encompass the orbits of Mercury and Venus and possibly even Earth. We won't care, though. All life already ended back there when uh, before the helium exploded. Um, at some point, this helium core will ignite again, and this time in an explosion that will convert about half the mass and a sixth of the core to carbon. Now, this is a key point. As the sun stays smaller, although still about 10 times as large as it is now, um, it's going to pulse this way a few more times, each helium explosion converting more helium into carbon. With each pulse, the sun will become about 93 million miles, or 1 AU, larger. The outer planets at this point, uh, outer planets at this point, may have a chance to become hospitable to life as we know it, as they become the inner planets in a new planetary nebula. Eventually, the sun will collapse again into something called a white dwarf. Again, still not red dwarf. A white dwarf. The planetary nebula will dissipate because the white dwarf doesn't have the same kind of gravitational pull on it as, as the uh, red giant did. And the white dwarf, composed mainly of carbon at this point, will eventually wink out. Uh, why doesn't it just burn forever? Um, because carbon is inert and it doesn't burn. So there you go, Chris. In about 5 billion years, the sun will turn into a red giant, swallowing the inner planets. It will shrink down to a white dwarf and eventually, blip, gone. So back to our original program. I was just curious one day, watching uh, one of those things that comes to mind when one is watching Criminal Minds on TV. What organs can you do without? It's a surprising number of organs you can do a lot, do without, or organs that you can, that you can make much smaller than they are now and they will still function. One lung. The other lung will expand to fill the space. One kidney. Although, technically, you can live with no kidneys if you're on dialysis. Uterus, ovaries, and or testicles. I think we all knew that, though. Your stomach. They can cut your stomach right out and uh, replace it with, like, a little pouch. This is what they do a lot of the times with the, the gastric bypass and so forth. Um, they will bypass the stomach, but they can also just take the stomach out. Um, your appendix. Appendix doesn't really do anything unless, of course, you need it for your book because you want to make sure that you have cited all your references. That was a little English joke there. <laughs> okay, the spleen. It's part of your immune system. It helps remove old, dead, red blood cells. And the liver will take over that function and clean your blood. Your gallbladder. Your gallbladder stores bile. It helps with digestion. You can do without your gallbladder. Your eyes, your ears, and your nose. You can do without all of those. Part of your liver. 
If part of your liver is removed, it will actually regrow to normal size. It has an amazing regenerative ability. It will regrow to normal size. Um, when a liver is transplanted, generally only part of a liver is transplanted and it grows a new one. Um, finally, half your brain. There's a whole slew of political jokes I could make here, but just putting that aside, showing extreme restraint, a hemispherectomy will remedy severe seizures. The other half of your brain will pick up the slack from functions that were on the side that was removed. So, um, organs you can do without, your kidneys, your stomach, your colon... I don't know if we should be calling your ears an organ, but we will. They're your, they're your, they're, they're sensory organs. Um, there you go. Next question. How does cancer actually kill you? So we know cancer is a terrible disease. It takes far too many people, far too soon. Um, after watching a friend and my mother go through treatment for breast cancer, and my watching my father-in-law battle melanoma, which is a form of skin cancer, it made me wonder what the actual mechanism of death is. So, to start with, not all cancers kill. There are several ways the ones that do uh, work. 50% of people who are diagnosed with cancer will not die. Um, sometimes cancer is benign, which means that it's a single tumor, um, that tumor may need to be removed in order to restore some function or comfort, but it doesn't metastasize, which means it doesn't move around uh, in the body, creating more and more tumors as it moves along. Um, uh, if cancer is caught early enough as well, um, you, you have a much better chance of surviving it. Um, especially if it's caught before it has metastasized because metastasizing is the really big problem with cancer because your body can't support the growth of that many tumors um, um, all at the same time. Uh, so the first way that cancer kills is it overgrows and blocks the function of a necessary organ. So for instance, if it blocks the intestines, it can prevent the absorption of food. If it blocks a lung, it can prevent adequate oxygen, causing the lung to collapse, and uh, that part of the lung can become infected. The uh, cancer can also uh, affect your red blood cells and your bone marrow. It affects your bone marrow, it upsets your immune system. So if you have uh, an infection in your lungs and you have your immune system has been destroyed um, by the metastasizing cancer, um, the infection will kill you. Bone cancer, um, in addition to causing an issue with uh, your immune system, a bone cancer eats away the bones, which increases the levels of calcium in the blood, and too much calcium in your blood will kill you. Uh, cancer of the bone marrow causes red, cell, uh, red blood cell production to stop. It leads to a lack of oxygenated blood. It also causes a decrease in platelet count which gives you bleeding problems. Um, if you end up having uh, bleeds in your brain, for instance, you have a stroke, which will kill you. Um, the tumors themselves die occasionally, which releases excessive potassium and calcium into the bloodstream. 
um, excessive potassium in your bloodstream um, can cause you to have a heart attack and, uh, and will kill you. Uh, calcium again, too much calcium in your bloodstream will kill you. Um, the metabolic rate of cancer is much higher than that of healthy cells. So the tumor actually takes the food and nutrients that uh, you're taking into your body, that you're, that you're taking into, um, you know, to fuel your body, and instead um, you will end up uh, using those nutrients and those resources to grow the tumor. Um, this causes muscle loss. This can cause renal failure. It can cause fluid buildup. Um, it's why people with cancer... Um, are so generally so very tired. Uh, if there is a if there is a good point to any of this, it's that generally speaking, uh, the mechanisms of cancer will put you into a coma way before the truly horrifying effects begin. So you won't really be aware of them. I guess we can we could call that a little silver lining on that horrendous cloud. So, that's our answer to our two questions. How does cancer kill you? And what organs can you do without? Next Tuesday, John wants to know, what color did people see before they had a word for blue? The background of that question is very interesting. It has to do with um, the fact that blue is a relatively new addition to the lexicon. So what were they looking at before they knew it was blue? Uh, so what is the deal with marsupials? What happened to all of ours? And why did they only, or instead of what happened to all of ours, why did they only appear on certain continents? What, what made it so that uh, North America only has a couple and Australia has a billion? Um, is there, as a side note, is there a marsupial equivalent of every mammal? Thank you very much for listening. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern, you have several ways to meet me. Uh, there is, there is feedingthemonkey.com. I am on Facebook at feedingthemonkey. You can reach me at by email at monkey at feedingthemonkey.com, all one word monkey at feedingthemonkey.com. Thank you very much for listening and tune back next Tuesday uh, for those two more topics. What uh, happened what, what happened to the marsupials in the United Kingdom or excuse me in the United States or North America? What happened to the marsupials? And what color did people see before they had a word for blue? I appreciate you listening and until next time here's some upbeat outro music. Thank you very much.